I remember like thinking to myself, like, this is the end of the world. Oh my gosh, like I'm never gonna recover from this. And the world is ending. But grades just they matter to an extent. But two things. The first is that you are a girl, not a grade. And you are much more than that. You are your faith. You are your friend with your friends, your family. There are people that love you and, and, and there are passions that you have. And if this is not, it is okay. But it's also, let's not let the world end. From the University of Alabama's Culverhouse College of Business, it's Bama Means Business, a podcast that reveals amazing stories most people both inspire and make a difference in our community. I'm Cole Stevens. On the show today, Hannah Prescott. Hannah is a second-year MBA with myself and one of my personal friends. We sat down today to talk about her personal journey through becoming the president of a sorority in undergrad to becoming a woman in business in the MBA program here at Alabama and what she plans to do after graduation. I hope you enjoy part one of our two-part conversation with Hannah. So, Hannah, how are we doing today? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing phenomenal. Now, there's a new question I started asking everyone on the okay. podcast. If you're back in an Uber and someone asks who you are and you can't say where you're from or what you do, how would you describe Hannah Prescott? First, I would it's probably be stunned because I think everybody's first intention with that question is to be like, oh, I'm from here or I am this. But I would like to tell people that I am a friend of everyone. I am somebody who's very driven and very like passionate about maybe very niche subjects and that I'm interested in what their life is like and what they do. So I guess that would be my really quick synopsis of who I am. Now, your story is very unique, but our story starts about a year and a half ago or so in the beginning of the MBA program here. Okay. The MBA program is for a lot of people professionally a way for them to develop managerial skills to launch their careers to the next level. We both chose to do it right from undergrad. What drove that decision for you? I think one of the biggest things that I took away from undergrad was that I still needed to figure out which skill that I liked the most. I majored in two very different subjects. I majored in economics and history. I liked both. I liked aspects of both, but I wasn't necessarily sure yet how I was going to apply them or how I was going to find a job that used both or in some capacity, a career path that might use both. And I think that I needed a little bit more time to understand that there's more to a career than the degree you had in the grades you make. There's definitely those soft skills that I definitely had from leadership experience, but I didn't know um, how honed they needed to be in order to be ready for the, the career that I wanted to start. And I also at that point, I wasn't sure what career I wanted because I'd had taste of different things through internships and leadership positions, but I really didn't know. So I think it was a time of an extra time of exploration for me to find the soft skills that I was good at and to realize like what I was strong at because I felt I was good at a lot of things, but I wasn't sure which one I liked the most. And so that was my like extra couple of years to figure that out. And honestly, it's been the best decision I've ever made because the friends that I've made are great. The opportunities that I've had to be a leader or to be involved in school events or school clubs or travel with the university has been like invaluable to me. And it's an opportunity that I wish that everybody could have. 
So we're going to take a step back. And you were originally from Tennessee. Yes. Born and raised there? Yes. Chattanooga. Chattanooga. Now, one of my best friends is from Chattanooga. He loves it there. What was like for you? What was your experience growing up in Tennessee and being in the South? I loved Chattanooga. It's a beautiful city because there's the mountains and the river that runs through downtown. There's a big focus on the outdoors and shopping and eating local and really doing whatever you can to be outside. And I think that was a really cool place to grow up because in school, a lot of the types of work that we did was centered around the environment or there were a lot of experiential learning opportunities when I was growing up to go hiking or to learn about fish or whatever. And also a lot of really neat industries in the area. But as far as living in the South, my whole family is from the South. I haven't lived anywhere else. And it is a passion of mine to travel and and do that more. But everybody's friendly. And I knew that going to Alabama from Tennessee may not be a big like culture shock, but it's where I feel most comfortable. And I think that this has been a really cool experience. But yeah, Chattanooga is a fun place. It's it's a bigger city, but it's not, you, you don't recognize people on the streets. I can't go anywhere without saying hi to somebody. So that's the benefits of having family and everyone in the area, but great place. So now women in STEM, but also in leadership positions is something that's been talked about a lot in the past decade. I personally have seen a lot of growth of not only nonprofit organizations, but leaders pushing forward this idea of we need to elevate women into different positions. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is from early childhood, giving girls due to develop into women the skills in which to grow upon once they graduate high school, for example. Let's go back to your early childhood life. Okay. What was it like growing up for you? And were you like really big into school, really introverted, really extroverted? Talk to us about your personality. So I was definitely very into school. I went to an all girls middle and high school prior to that, just a regular co-ed elementary school, but I was very into historical things. And I know that's really funny at a very early age. I had the American girl dolls that were from like my favorite time periods to learn about my family took me to DC to go see all the monuments in my favorite movie, national treasure. And all of those things I was obsessed with and I couldn't learn enough. And my dad and I, we would always watch all the channels that were more informational. So like I could stay up late if I watched the history channel with him or I could stay up late. We both were learning about something and and that was always really fun for me. But I was also involved in sports and other activities. So I was a big, I am still a big golfer. I started when I was seven through the first C program in Chattanooga. And then played all the way through high school. And then I also swam. So I love those individual sports. I was probably a little more introverted in terms of I always had like small groups of friends and everything. But I definitely had like my passions and and nobody ever could tell me that I, I didn't couldn't do those. So I, I definitely had more individual passions or individual sports that I participated in. But I loved every minute of it. In your LinkedIn profile. And your little biography about who Ham Prescott is, mm-hmm. you have a line that says you love telling stories with data. Mm-hmm. I, I love that. I think that's a lot of what needs to happen, especially in the analytics field. It's not only just throwing up data onto a board. It's right. saying, here's what we actually can drive from this data. And here are the recommendations that we have. Mm-hmm. The data by which we grow up on when we're children usually is about either school grade, like first, second, third, or like years, 2015, 2016. Can you account? two turning points for you during your childhood before you graduated that might have been a major turning point to defining who you were? 
I think the biggest turning points for me were some of maybe the failures that I experienced. It, there were times I loved school, like I said, and I wanted to be the, the student with the most straight A's or the highest GPA. I took them a ton of AP classes, whatever. But I had to realize that you as an individual will never be good at every single thing that you do. Everybody has strengths and weaknesses. And the first one that I remember, there were two, like in that one year, my junior to senior year of high school, I took physics and I also took um, AP chemistry. And it was a natural progression to take the AP classes and, and the hard honors versions of, of whatever, because that's what I had chosen. Um, and my school had offered that, but I took it because I wanted to outwardly show that I was really good at school or I was really a perfect student. But on the inside, like those two subjects maybe weren't my favorite. And I chose to push myself in an area that like I really did not enjoy. And it's nothing against like, those subjects or those that love those subjects, but it wasn't something that I was good at. I knew it. And I forcibly put myself in situations where I didn't do well. And I remember getting a 42 on my physics, like Christmas exam. And I had never, I had failed a test or two in my life, but never to the point where it was like, you didn't just miss a few questions and fail. You blew it out of the water. And not in a good way. Yeah, you uh, you blew it out of the water. And, And my teacher at the time didn't put your names on the board, but he was very open about what class like averages were. And he would write every single person's score up on the board from 100 at the top in a straight line all the way to the bottom. And I would, I was repeatedly in the bottom 25% maybe in that class. But I, I really, that first day back at school in January, I was sitting at a 42 on that test. And that was a big chunk of the grade. And I remember like thinking to myself, like, this is the end of the world. Oh my gosh, like I'm never going to recover from this. And the world is ending. But grades just, they matter to an extent. But two things. The first is that you are a girl, not a grade. And you are much more than that. You are your faith. You are your friend with your friends, your family. There are people that love you and, and, and there are passions that you have. And if this is not, it is okay. But it's also, let's not let the world end. Let's make an action plan. And the second thing is, let's make that action plan to where we can succeed, but let's not set unrealistic expectations for ourselves and things that we don't enjoy. And so I think for me, it was realizing that it's okay to not be good at everything, but it's important to do the best that you can and work through those things, but it's okay to have weaknesses. Let's play on our strength. And so that was a big learning experience for me was flopping in a couple of those classes and, and not to the point like where the whole class, you know, fell apart, but you're not going to be able to sustainably be good at everything. So pick and choose what you love. And I think through college, I started to apply that mentality through college and then now in grad school. And I am exactly where I want to be in terms of the things I'm involved in, the people that I'm surrounded by. And if you really apply it to your life, I think that you'll be able to find a career in the hobbies and the friends and the family that that you want to be around. One thing that I've always admired about you is your uncanny ability to have a unique sense of fashion. You always like to show it off. And Mm -hmm. there's something that's been popularized from actually Bama Rush Talk, which has been the OOTD, the outfit of the day, I believe is what Mm -hmm. it is. 
And you come in with some very unique styles that somehow you pull off and everyone is very jealous of your style. Personally, I am too. <laughs> Did that develop as a child when you're growing up? Because obviously going to an all-girls school, usually they have a dress code. Is they that do. a way you try to express yourself, especially try to find that unique characteristic inside of you? I wore uniforms until college. And when I came to college my freshman year, I wore what everybody else wore t-shirts and baggy t-shirts and shorts and it's hot here so nothing too extravagant but when I realized life is getting real I'm gonna have to start dressing up to go to work this was before grad school I started working retail one Christmas during the holiday season at one of my favorite business clothes like nicer retailer business clothes stores and when I worked there it was Ann Taylor I like would dress up the we weren't really busy some of the shifts that I worked. And so my coworkers were like, let's try some of this new stuff on. And I, I was getting to dress up like Barbie. And I realized like fashion is fun if you dress how you want to. And it doesn't matter like what is going on around you. Now you can lean into trends and stuff, but it's what you enjoy. And grad school is different because we do have a dress code here doing my OOTDs or outfit of the day, like on TikTok, like the Bama Rush girls, I do participate. And I like to share my business casual fits and everything. But it's just because I feel best when I look best. I feel most put together, most at peace, most organized when I come to school, knowing that I put effort into my appearance, not in vanity way, but just I feel like I am more relaxed when I come to class, knowing that I got dressed and, and ready on time. And I know that in undergrad, sometimes there is a draw to roll out of bed and just go to class. But when you take the time to have a routine and a morning routine and, and have your coffee and get dressed the way you want to, you feel like, and I noticed that getting to dress how I wanted, taking that extra time in the morning, it made me feel prepared. And it's also just fun. I do rent the runways. My friends and I like all talk about, oh my gosh, I've seen that on the app. Like I'm running that next, whatever. It's a fun way to express yourself without, if you're not very artistic or something like that with like pen and paper, there are other ways to express yourself. And I find dressing up is, is fun. So who doesn't love to feel good? I just say, keep that going. I think you're going to continue that for the rest of your life, for yes, sure. As definitely. long as you can afford it, that's for sure. <laughs> yes. I think it might In get quite economy, expensive. <laughs> it was very expensive. Especially with broke college students who rent the runway does come yes, in handy. Yes, they do. When, when you've got, we still have events and stuff to do all the time. And I know for like women, at least like those like, dresses and formal events or, or weddings that you got to start going to because everybody already just starting to get married. Those, those life events, sometimes you don't rewear those items. So it's like, do I spend the money on this or, or can I put it towards something else? And sharing clothes, renting clothes, all that is, is definitely a more <laughs> sustainable way for you to treat the environment and your wallet. So <laughs> that is for sure. I should be a salesperson, I think, for that. But <laughs> yeah, second job coming up here. Now, you made a good point about feeling good looking good helps build up the confidence. Yes. One of the biggest decisions that many people face in their lives and their young lives is deciding what to do after they graduate. Mm -hmm. Because obviously in the United States, it's almost required. They have their GED, graduate high school, 18, 19 year olds, wherever you are, mm -hmm. you now decide what do you do? Mm -hmm. Your decision was to come to Alabama. Yes. You're from Tennessee. There's an in-state school that we all don't like. Yes. That you could have gone <laughs> to pretty easily. Mm -hmm. Why did you choose Alabama? Alabama, without sounding like cheesy, Alabama is just bigger and better at everything. And, and while I did not grow up an Alabama football fan, like that is not at all like why I came here. 
And my dad would probably be really proud of me for saying that. I did not grow up an Alabama fan. So the football aspect like was fun and exciting, but it wasn't like the aspect of coming here. When I came to campus, I was not yet looking at colleges. I had visited, my brother went to camp here for soccer. When I came here, it was huge. It was beautiful. And I realized that every person that I know that came to Alabama was successful and appeared to be put together and confident in who they were and had great careers and great social lives and experiences that they just, they loved. I never met a single person that said, I did not enjoy Alabama. Everybody raves about it. So there has to be some truth to it. And when I went back as like a prospective student, I realized this is a fun place. This is a place that's huge. So the endless opportunities are all at your fingertips. And at that time, I had considered, do I want to look at military? Do I want to look at other career options? And Alabama had those options that I could explore in a way that both I got a scholarship for financially could afford, but also had the flexibility to explore. So I could change my major and I could explore different types of majors or clubs or organizations. I had everything here. And I think I am from Tennessee, but I will never wear orange. (laughs) I will not be singing Rocky Top, but I came here like on a whim in a way. Very last day of college decisions, I had two choices left and I was very conflicted. It was like the last week of April. And I knew both places that I had were going to be good, but something in my gut, I don't know if it was was God or or, or what, but just was on my heart that I needed to come here. And if I made the other choice, I, there's something wrong. Like I just needed to come here and I don't regret a single minute of it. I've never woken up and said, wish I didn't come here. Just every person I know that has come out of Alabama is successful in, in some way, whether it be like their career or their confidence or their ability to just take life by the reins. So. I think you made a good point there and the idea of you should leap of faith, no matter what decision you make, especially yes. in that kind of big life decision, you had to say, all right, I'm going to embrace this and make the most of it. Mm-hmm. And you truly did make the most of it. A lot of your experiences in undergrad are very unique, mm-hmm. but also it was because you put yourself in that position to succeed. Yes. I think a lot of people don't realize that luck is when, I think my sister has this quote on her wall, but luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Yes. And that's what people say is lucky, but you might have worked two, three years to get to that point Mm -hmm. out there. And I think one of the biggest things that you've demonstrated that you talk about quite often, especially in leadership classes and discussions, was the opportunity to lead a sorority here Mm -hmm. on campus. How many sororities are on campus? So there's 19. 19. a lot. And and that's just in the APA, but that is, there's so many organizations in Greek orgs. There's MPHC, GC, and then IFC, which is fraternities. and There's a lot. This is needless to say. (laughs) So if we're going to take just basic numbers overall on campus, you were one of 19 women selected to lead a sorority. That takes a lot of time, a lot of effort, and a lot of understanding of a lot of different aspects, which Mm -hmm. I think did prepare you to be an MBA candidate and a successful one at least. But what was that journey like for you to get that leadership position? And why did you choose to take up such a responsibility knowing that this is going to be a lot for an entire year of my collegiate career. When I was elected, it was before the spring of my junior year. That was the height of COVID. And that was the fall after we had returned from being sent home in the spring. So it's obviously 
a very tumultuous time because people see things very differently. We had a lot of restrictions on what we could and couldn't do. The whole world did. And so it was a very stressful time to be a student that knew how it used to be without those restrictions, but also had to cater to people and students maybe who came in that fall and maybe their senior year was ruined in high school and all that stuff. And, and I think that I had a lot of ideas. And one of the things my professor said to me my sophomore year, and this was right before COVID-19 hit in that spring, was that when there is something to be done, you cannot sit back and let just let it go because nobody's going to do it. You have to be the one to do it when you see something needs to be done. So I, I ran that year, I would say, more so out of just like love for the organization and then the people I was surrounded with. And miraculously, I, I, I was elected and I had the opportunity to lead when we were going back to that transition period of restrictions that were related to COVID being lightened up by the university and wasn't easy. And also without those COVID-19 restrictions, it was not an easy job because these are young adults. They're students, they're young adults. Everybody has sets of rules that they abide by, but there's also people make mistakes when they're young and stuff like that. And so it's balancing running an organization, providing events, providing fun and, and opportunity for people. But it's also like managing like, if you're struggling or if something's going on, like how can we help you get out of that? Or how can we help you maneuver school or, or personal thing and foster that community of not just a social organization, but one that you have like support in. And I think that was something that I looked forward to, but it taught me a lot about what I was capable of with a like a team, how to be, how to delegate, how to have hard conversations with people, but also just like how much can you physically take on and when you draw the line too much is or this is too much. So it was a good experience. Something that I find that happens a lot, especially in undergraduate students, is the lack of conflict management skills. Mm-hmm. And when I say that, obviously this is from my perspective inside of housing, and you have a little bit of different perspective inside of a sorority, but a lot of times people do not want to confront what might be causing them a problem or what might be bothering them. That could be roommate issues. That could be grades and challenging, maybe something, something announced on a essay, for example. Right. Can you talk about your conflict management skills and how they grew while you were in such a leadership position Mm -hmm. over that year of serving as the president? I definitely am a non-confrontational person. And I, by nature, I think it's because I tend to lead sometimes to be more introverted and not necessarily passive, but just I'm easygoing. And, and unless something's really bothering me, I really just, I'm not somebody to jump to wanting to confront things head on. But in that role, when you are responsible for lots of money and you are responsible for upholding reputation for the university and reputation for an organization that has more members than just the the 300 that are whatever that are in your organization, but just a national name and your name is attached to it. You have to be ready to a take responsibility when there are things that either are your fault or, or whatever, but you also have to be willing to sit down with two parties that don't agree and hit it head on. And that means you are an officer and there's another officer and you guys are trying to plan something together, but you don't see eye to eye and one goes behind the back of the other. It means that, okay, we're going to sit down and we're going to figure this out 
and we're going to talk and we're not going to get up until it's done. Or we're going to meet back in a week and see that progress. And I think that it, it became being relational with people, being their friend, but not being too friendly to the point where you're going to let things slide. And I think that I had good friends that were accountable with me, that I could be accountable to them. And I was surrounded by people that did did the same thing. So it's all about earning that trust and respect from people to be able to have those conversations. You got to be kind. You got to show them that you're going to show up for them. But that in a situation, you have to be willing to negotiate and be able to give two parties a taste of what they want or, or offer them an opportunity to excel in something else if they can't if they can't do that. It's a lot about listening. And I think that I'm still working on it. I sometimes little things get under my skin and I just try to let them go and then they get bigger and snowball. But I have found that in the situations that were resolved and were not as big of an issue as I blew up in my head, it was because we sat down and actually talked about it. And so I can speak from experience. It does work. It's just when you're used to letting it just sit, you have to force yourself to engage. And I think that's what I struggle with and what I'm working on. I think you made a, a good point about negotiation. How that's a very valuable skill, not only between parties, but also mm-hmm. maybe trying to make a deal with someone else. If that's going to be like, you do this work, I do this work, how to delegate different things. But I think something a lot of people underestimate is the skill of negotiation with yourself. Mm-hmm. How much are you willing to give up for something? Not in regards to time management, but also your own personal pursuits. How much are I willing to pursue this career rather than this? Like you said, the balance of history and economics, what do you want to do with it? Which led you down the road of data analytics. Mm -hmm. As a woman approaching this field, what was that internal speak to yourself of this career path is going to mean X, Y, Z? And has it turned out so far the way you foresaw it? Mm -hmm. I am 100% behind doing what you enjoy. And I'm also the type of person that is like, you don't like what I do. And to early, if you don't like the same things I like, if you don't like the same TV shows, if you don't like that my favorite animal is this, that's okay. But I like that and I'm going to keep doing that. And, and I got into data analytics through an internship and it's not something I had exposure to. I knew what it was. Like I knew generally that it was a field you could enter, but I didn't know much about the like the actual softwares or the actual skills that you needed to have. And when I got a taste of it and I was like, my brain works this way because I have this background. It, it didn't say, oh, this is a history job or this is an economics job. It was a blend of the skills that I had learned, like the math skills, but the storytelling and the framing and the, and those are ways that I can implement the things that I learned in a very meaningful way that like makes sense to my brain. So my philosophy in life is that if you like something, do it. But don't let anybody tell you that you can't. And I think this is typically a very maybe male-dominated field or whatever. I just stand by the philosophy with whatever you don't let anybody tell you that you can't. If it's other females, if it's somebody that doesn't like the same things that you do or thinks that they are better at it than you, okay, that's great. Maybe they are. But do what you like because you like to do it and don't let anybody take that from you. Hannah Prescott, second year MBA here in the business school. And thanks so much for listening to the show today. If you're not a subscriber, do subscribe to the podcast wherever you get yours. And of course, check out our website at culverhouse.ua.edu to learn more about the Culverhouse College of Business and what it has to offer. And as always, roll tide. <laughs>